we mentioned in another episode that e-fuel is an alternative to the fuel that we currently use. But we also know that e-fuel is produced from crops. But a question that I had pertaining to e-fuel is if we were to adopt this e-fuel moving forward and declare that uh, we exclusively use e-fuel for anything, wouldn't we risk to end up directing too much food to fuel production? I imagine we would need quite a lot of e-fuel at that point. Wouldn't that be an actual risk or what do you think about it? I think looking at the question from agriculture perspective, so around a third of all the food that is produced in the world actually gets wasted, right? And that waste happens in multiple levels. So let's say you planted carrots. The reality is, in fact, the carrot leaf is also edible. The stem is also edible. but We don't eat any of that, right? We don't even consider that as part of the food. It's only the root element that's cut it off and that's the part that, mm-hmm. that we use. So... Let's take out the leaf and stem from the carrot and throw it away as waste. Can that become bioethanol? Yes. Secondly, on the farm people who pick these carrots, they look for crops that are that can be shipped all the way to the end destination, which could be a Morrison's or a Tesco out here. And there's a good chance that it travels many miles or even crosses oceans before it, it actually reaches here. So it's got to be at that stage where it will survive that journey and it is you know, able to do that. But over there, there's about 5 to 7% of the produce without the stem and the leaf, just the carrot alone, that around 5 to 7% gets wasted on the farm. The food is then transported We have refrigerated containers, refrigerated vehicles today. But even then, there is another 2% wastage in transportation. The bigger amount of wastage actually comes in the supermarkets and at the consumer end, the end use of the carrot itself. In the supermarkets, they would only take carrots that are of proper shape, size, and color. It's a perfectly healthy carrot, but just because of the fact that it's a little bit thinner or a little bit fatter than what they consider as normal, it would be thrown away, right? Now you have, in Morrison's, they sell what are called wonky ones, meaning I go and buy those wonky ones because it's not past the date. It is within the date. It's pretty good food, food, fruit and vegetable. It's just out of shape. So when you are eating, you're not going to eat the carrot in its full form. You're going to cut it. You're going to make small pieces out of it and use it as part of your food, right? So why bother about the shape and size and color of that carrot? As long as it is good food, then I can still buy it. But the reality is there is wastage there as well. And then what happens is in the end use, the reality is a lot of us overbuy food. It is overstocked. We really don't need to buy a lot of stuff fresh and put it in the fridge. A lot of it doesn't actually need to go into the fridge. Some of the stuff can actually be canned food that you can buy and you can use as part of things like peas, for instance. You can buy the frozen ones. You don't need the 
fresh ones only. The frozen ones are as good as fresh. And the frozen ones will stay for six months. Buy a big packet for it in the freezer. It stays for six months. Same with carrots. If you bought the carrot and you sliced it, put it in, in a small box, put it in the fridge, it will stay for six months. But what we would do is we wouldn't cut that. We would stick it straight into the fridge. Uh, next week, when you look at it, it's got a little bit rotten. We throw it out. So it all adds up all the way from the farm till the end use and hotels and restaurants. There is a huge amount of food waste. Now, I only talked about the consumer being the individual wasting food at home. The hospitality spaces are known for a lot of food waste. I remember there is a charity in India that actually collects food waste from restaurants and, and they are able to feed thousand people every day with just food that is hasn't been consumed. It's not somebody's plate being thrown away. It's just food that was bought, maybe bread that was bought, or maybe there was lots of vegetables or meat or whatever that was bought hasn't been consumed today and they're giving it away, which would have otherwise gone to the trash, right? So they actually take that make food out of it, and they feed a 1,000 people every day. There is an app here in the UK. There's one called Too Good To Go. Too yeah, Good yeah, To yeah, Go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I see that. The only trouble that I have with it right now is I'm vegetarian. So I only want to look for mm -hmm. stuff that is vegetarian only. So that level of filtering hasn't happened, but uh, it's a good option. It's a good option, Right. You've got stuff like vegetables, you've got fruits, you've got bread, right? Uh, you've got uh, cakes and you've got uh, Subway, basically. And there's Wenzel's bakery that's in there, right? Uh, you can buy stuff which is uh, pretty much fresh, ready to eat, except it hasn't been soaked. It would have otherwise gone to trash. You can actually buy it and you can use it. It's interesting suggesting... Uh, that there is a potentially untapped supply that remains unused. This resource could be repackaged and sold, provided as food to people. Or, as you mentioned, in relation to cars, the stem and other components can be transformed into fuel. The question is, who should take the initiative and tap into this potential? I mean, who should really do something about it? Like, how, how, did you start, how do you start this? Consider envisioning a world where each household possesses a machine serving as food converter. In simple terms, it would function as a device that takes our food waste, converts it into fuel, and offers a sustainable solution. Uh, how, how do we do this? This concept draws parallels to certain Northern European countries where supermarkets have machines that accept plastic bottles. I've seen that firsthand. Providing customers with uh, vouchers to spend within the store, thus promoting circularity. In a way, I think this would be something interesting to build yeah, investment. Yeah, very much. Very much. Uh, I don't know if there is anyone out there thinking about it very already. Would I you? had mentored a team of students last year. Uh, if I can talk about it, maybe I can. There's basically a challenge called the Conrad Challenge. It's actually 
one of the three people that landed on the moon, right? The guy's name is Conrad. And what he's done is he's created a charity that works on these big ideas like climate change, energy transition, earth sciences. And they want students to propose a certain mechanism. So this group that I was mentoring last year was uh, a team of students, I think secondary school students, basically. And they came up with an idea that they can set up a biofuel plant by working with the local authority, local council, parish councils, or local, say, borough council, etc. They had a very nice business plan. Their, ma- their market research was pretty good. The idea was that you know, the council collects the food waste. The council also collects garden waste, lawn clippings or whatever. They collect that. And if these guys had access to that, they could collect it from the council every week, take it to a digester and put in the, the necessary catalyst and they can produce biofuel out of it. Uh, it is capital intensive. And it will only work when you have a sufficient scale. Like if you had uh, all the 33 London borough councils working together to support the creation of one such digester, and then you can produce the you can produce the biofuel out of that. With that kind of a scale, it would definitely work. Because in reality. You don't need the digester at home, right? It'll probably be smelly, noisy, whatever. But instead of that, what you can do is your local council can actually supply that food waste, garden waste, which they collect from all the houses. I'm not even talking about, you know, the general garbage bin into which you know, there is food waste going in, going there as well. But you have a kitchen bin these days. So if you had the, the kitchen bin collected every week, it goes into one common processing facility where it gets composted. So we can take a part of that waste, convert it into biofuel. That could be one way. We started the conversation with saying that, and correct me if I do mistakes along the way, saying that a third of the whole of like emissions that we, we have in the world comes from transportation and logistics. Right? Yes, it is. Logistics, yeah. So it's a big one. Uh, we also said we cannot give to any economy in the world that kind of shock, basically coming from just pulling oil Correct. out of the picture, all in a sudden. Cannot do that. Therefore, a better solution is to have all companies to uh, be involved in the process of basically produce a different kind of yeah. fuel. Now we introduce the new layer to the conversation, which is we can help that process of basically converting those fossil fuel companies to something that is more sustainable, but also we can even produce energy by ourselves for our yes. own cars and devices, whatever, uh, via those sort of uh, like this like futuristic technology that we're mentioning now, which basically involves the transformation of waste into yep. fuel. Yep. From the beginning of the conversation to this point, I feel already a bit more relieved towards all this. 
Because <laughs> it feels like there are a few things that can happen in the world in general. And it feels like we know where we are, and this is a starting point. We know where we can get, which is basically conversion of fossil fuel companies, but also pr- like self, like local production of fuel from waste that we would yeah. produce anyway. What's in the middle and why this is not happening? And how can an, an organization like Helix contribute and have its impact in this sure. context? Sure. What is not happening in the middle is is that nobody is actually looking at it as a system transformation effort. A lot of this is very individualistic. So let's say I'm a hospitality business. I've got net zero goals. I'm looking at it only within the boundaries of my organization. At best, maybe I would look at end use by my customer and I would also look at my supplier. I don't look at the entire chain all the way from agriculture into this. I don't look at how my built environment is affected, how transportation, et cetera, et cetera. Nobody looks at that. Except for a few multilateral agencies, the UNEP, right? United Nations Environment Program. So you have a few of those multilateral agencies that are looking at it from a systemic system transformation perspective. But largely, as a corporate, you're looking at it only as an individual. So what we are doing with the Helix platform is that we are creating a mechanism to compete, coordinate, and collaborate on this, along with various other companies who are in similar journeys. Right? How do we do that? We are able to provide you with insight, uh, which can be as simple as what is the water intensity in this particular sector? What is the carbon intensity per unit of output? What is the percentage of renewable usage in your sector, in your country? Let's say per pizza that is served in Domino's. Or it is for every coffee that is served at Starbucks. So it is at that level, right, that we can provide insight. Secondly, this platform helps connect both the carbon-intensive business as well as the institutional investors who uh, have an interest in the net-zero transition of these carbon-intensive businesses onto a common goal, right? They are approaching a common goal on a common trajectory versus getting everyone onto different pathways, different roads that they take, and they are on a completely individual journey. And again, the way we produce these insights is at a sector level and at a country geographic region level, which means that it is possible for you to compare with all the other companies in your sector in the UK. And if you're doing better, talk about it to your customers. If you're doing worse, then learn from your, your, learn from the peers in your sector. That's the advantage here. 
And second advantage that we also bring to the table is a number of these interventions that carbon-intensive businesses need to make are not just minor adjustments here and there, improve energy efficiency. They've done that a number of times and they've done it over the last 15, 20 years, right? Today, and a lot of the intervention that they need to take is capital-intensive. This could mean changing the raw material. This could mean changing the source of heat. See, a lot of the manufacturing involves heat. Where is that heat coming from? A lot of the heat in industrial processes comes out of fossil fuel. So if they want to change that and electrify it and make sure that the electricity also comes from renewables, there you go. You've got a capital-intensive project in front of you. We can help them qualify that project in not just emissions terms, but also in financial terms. And we can help fund that through our network of institutional investors because they are also on the platform. This becomes a seamless mix. And I think that is where Helix is headed towards. There is a market research report that we are producing. And this is uh, going to be at least in the later part of January. Uh, we'll put a link in the description for people who want to take a look at that report. This is also available on our website, helix.earth. You can go in there and you can register to attend the launch as well as receive a copy of the report as well. This should tell you about the future of transition finance. And we have a number of case studies there, of companies that have reduced emissions and reduced cost at the same time, become more profitable. Interesting. It's uh, with this, we are, I think, connecting a few points that may seem all scattered yeah. around, but they can be put together just with the right strategy and, and vision. And I would say also knowledge, specific knowledge, transition processes and the knowledge of the technology that is out there available uh, that could be used. Uh, so it's interesting to find ways to mix all that up in order to achieve the advantages that we just described. So like reduction in cost, but also hopefully a greener world. We got a lot to unpack here. <laughs> yeah, uh, This was very interesting to, to go over. And fuel is certainly something we, as a society, should look more closely.